0: Welcome to the Earth Kingdom Prairie Home Companion, a bi-weekly podcast where two nerds and a newbie watch Avatar The Last Airbender and provide all their thoughts, feelings, and opinions. I'm Kelly.
1: I'm um, Mike. I just choked again.
0: <laughs> Sorry. I'm JJ. Keep going. <laughs> You're allergic
2: to the sound of your own name.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: <laughs> That's Mike, everybody.
1: Hey, I'm allergic to <laughs> me. <laughs>
2: We've been played with technical difficulties all evening. I think this is attempt number three. Trying yeah, to get and we're this just gonna
0: going to go with it. Yep. This is your little mm-hmm. glimpse behind the scenes of uh, making podcasts. So. Smooth, yeah, it's not always glamorous. production process. Right. <laughs> Previously on Avatar The Last Airbender, everyone gets back into training mode as Aang begins to study earthbending under Toph, while Zuko learns about lightning from Uncle Iroh. And we are gonna be doing two episodes today. We're doing episode 10, the library, and episode 11, the desert. So here is the recap for the library. After meeting an enthusiastic anthropology professor, Sokka chooses a library as his vacation destination. Although the gang swears they have no ulterior motives for the wisdom contained within, they infuriate the knowledge spirit by researching ways to defeat the Fire Nation. When Toph must choose between keeping her friends alive and saving Appa from poachers, she is forced to let the the sky bison be taken away. Yes. Yeah,
2: sad Appa guys. Yeah. <laughs> no, it totally killed me. Yeah.
0: yeah. It was really it was really sad. I I must confess that I did know that at some point Appa gets taken. That's one of those weird little bits of things that I knew before watching the show, but I had actually forgotten that I knew it. And then when we were watching this episode, I was like, oh, I think I know that this happens. Um, (laughs) But I'd completely forgotten about it.
2: Of all the things to take away from this show, that seems so weird. At some point, the protagonist loses loses its, like, flying monster thingy. Yeah,
0: I think it's because I was... Um, there's another podcast that I listened to called odd man out and they did an episode about avatar long before I ever knew I was going to watch it or anything like that. And I had started to listen to the episode and then I turned it off a couple of minutes in because I was like, I'm never going to watch this show. <laughs> and so uh, There's no reason for me to listen to this episode of the podcast. So I'm just going to skip it. So I think it might've been in there. I think when they were talking about the show that might've come up like in the first few minutes of their podcast, um, but, uh, but I don't know or, or I could have heard it from somewhere else I'm not sure um, but yeah I did know that at some point Appa gets kidnapped so
1: I mean you might have just looked at an episode list because I think at some point yeah, in the next three or four one of them is too. called Appa's Lost Days
0: yeah it could have been that I mean I don't know I just knew that it happened but again I didn't, I didn't know it consciously but it's just that when I was watching the show and we got to that scene I was like oh yeah I think I knew that that was going to happen Um, so yeah, so Abba gets taken, but that's not until the very end, so I guess let's back up a little bit and talk about how we get there. Um.
1: Prairie dogs.
0: (laughs) That's right, this episode opens with Aang, and he's gonna make an orchestra out of the singing, uh, the singing prairie dogs. I, I laughed,
2: actually, I thought that was pretty funny. Just a really random thing to start an episode with. Uh-huh. Singing, I, I call them singing gophers, but I was just like, what is this?
1: Also, where did that flute come from? I feel like we're never going to see that flute again either. <laughs> he yeah, just, like, had not. a flute to match pitch with them.
2: Yeah. I don't know, maybe maybe on their travels they just picked it up.
1: They grabbed a pitch pipe on the road. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. just like, eh,
2: whatever. Maybe they have music night too, you guys. <gasps>
0: I would love it if they had music night. (laughs) Oh my god. Is there fan fiction somewhere out there? I'm
2: sure there must be. Uncle
0: Iroh leading music night with like all of our heroes and Zuko just off in the corner refusing to participate. (laughs) And would get really into it. And I think Sokka would would get really into it too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I agree.
0: I think. I need to make this happen. Yeah.
2: If, there isn't, if there isn't fanfic, Kelly, well then clearly you have to write it now. So I will. I will.
0: I'll write it. <laughs>
1: and JJ can make like an illustration of the cover or whatever.
0: There you go. We'll be famous. <laughs>
1: and I'll be here for moral support.
0: <laughs> you can read it out loud. You can, yeah. be, you can be the narrator. Um, so yeah, so that's how the episode starts. And then they're all kind of taking a break and I actually thought this was really cute even though it's kind of a callback to the beginning of season one where Aang is just like going and crossing things off his bucket list and going to places that don't really matter which was annoying then but here (laughs) I guess it seems like they're all taking turns picking a vacation spot uh, which seemed really cute to me and Aang is talking and he says you know I've been working really hard I've been studying with Katara and with Toph every day and, you know, it's okay to take a little break sometimes. And then he says, Um, I've
2: been training my arrow off.
0: That's right! Oh, yeah, he did say that. I was like, oh, what a cutie. (laughs) I've been training my arrow off. (laughs) Yeah. But I just like that. It makes them seem, you know, like real friends or real family. You know, like, yes, they're all bound together by this greater purpose, but... They're also, you know, pausing for a little bit of relaxation and some self-care and taking a little vacation. I liked it. And I like that they all got to choose um, a place, except for apparently Toph, because she hasn't been in the group long enough. She hasn't earned the the benefits yet.
1: (laughs) Yeah, vacation time. (laughs) Uh,
0: Which was really cute. So Aang is talking up this particular place, uh, and Katara chooses it as her vacation spot. The Misty and,
2: Palms Oasis.
0: Yeah. And in Aang's memory it's really lush and, you know, it's really beautiful and wonderful and of course they arrive and it's, you know, like a ghost town almost the sign falls down when they <laughs> when they walk in and it's not a fountain, is it's just ice, right?
1: Yeah, it's just like a like a chunk of ice sticking ice. out of the ground.
0: Yeah, and it was really majestic in Aang's reminiscence, and then they get there and it's just kind of this lump of ice that's just there. Um, so it's kind of disappointing, but they head into, I don't know, a saloon or a some sort of a watering hole there and watch uh, a man make a mango drink. In, and it's instead of in a coconut shell, it's like in a little ice bowl kind of thing.
2: <laughs> it's like a slushy full of. It's like a slushy
0: drink, I think. Yeah, uh, and of course Sokka wants one because they look delicious.
1: I, I kind of wanted one too. Me too. I know. Yeah, and, it looked
0: uh, really good. <laughs> it did look really good. And as they sidle up to the counter to order one, they end up bumping into someone and uh, knocking over his drink. And this was—I I felt like this was a really strange meeting because they bump into him, and uh, his drink spills, and a lot of it gets on Aang, and he's just like, "Oh, you know, I clean up easy." And he like bends the stuff off, which I thought was really cool. But it, usually, that setup—you know, like bumping into the stranger and and disrupting, you know, making them drop whatever their thing is or wrecking it—is like how you meet an enemy. You know? Yeah, like it's how nice. you start
2: a fight in a western.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what I was expecting. And then we don't go there at all. So I was kind of like, well, what's the point <laughs> of doing this meeting? But um, it just set me up to expect, you know, some kind of conflict. But the person that we meet is the professor who's kind of adorable. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's immediately excited to have met the Avatar and is taking out all these instruments and measuring Aang's head and asking him questions. And You're a relic.
2: It? Thanks,
0: yeah. I try <laughs> he was like what's what's the what is the agricultural um, export of your of your people of your people you know and he's like fruit pies like <laughs> it was just really cute and we just see that the professor is just someone that loves learning and is excited right. by new experiences and by knowledge and um, as our group of heroes starts to talk to him more. Uh, He tells them about this library, and makes it sound really appealing. And Sokka, Sokka chooses that as his vacation destination in a really hilarious moment. He's like, thrusts his finger up to the sky, and he's like, "We're going to the library."
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and you know, also to explain too, Sokka needs. He says he needs a more updated map of the Fire Nation because they don't have it. Um, And and so, you know, when he hears about the library, he's like, oh, well, we can find all the information we need at this library, therefore I'm picking this place as my Mm -hmm. mini-vacation. So, but yeah. um, And I just kind of thought it was really funny, like... So the professor is telling kind of a little bit the myth about this library, this great library founded by this, like, knowledge spirit, wan Shi Tong, and his with the help of his foxy knowledge foxy seekers. Foxy knowledge seekers.
0: Oh, right. I know, I loved that.
2: Saga's like, oh, so the spirit are attractive, attractive <laughs> assistants, eh? And, and then the professor's like,
0: both!
1: Like, <laughs> oh, weird.
0: <laughs> so mm, cute. Yeah, um, it, yeah. Yeah. So they... They go and they're searching for it, you know, because the professor's whole thing is that he's taken all these trips into the desert to search for it, and he can't, and he can't find it, and he can never cover that much ground, and well, that's what everyone's like.
1: Before they go on that trip, um, they walk outside, and there's a bunch of sand vendors like ogling. Yeah, Abba, yeah. And they have to be like chased off by the shopkeeper or whatever, and they they're look really skeevy like the
2: looking. They look like the sand people from Star
1: Wars. Right, except they're wearing, um, like, 80s villain glasses, like Bebop and Rocksteady from Ninja Turtles, you know, with a little nice. slit for an eye hole.
0: <laughs> nice. Yeah, they're... And I thought it was interesting that they were sandbenders, too, because, of course, they're earthbenders, but mm-hmm. I, it makes sense that they would have evolved to be called sandbenders here, because all that there is is sand. Yeah. And it's... Also interesting, so we get a lot of, um, from Toph's perspective here, this is hard for her too, because while the sand is technically earth, it is not solid enough for her to get the consistency of vibrations that she needs to see. And so she describes everything as looking kind of fuzzy because the sand is so loose and it's not she can't feel the vibrations as well um, and she also bend she can bend the sand but she also doesn't seem as comfortable bending the sand as she would be earth you know when they finally um, oh that's in the next episode but but I thought it was interesting how we have these sand benders who are clearly comfortable in this environment and bending the sand because this is kind of how they've grown up and what they've always known and while Toph can technically do it, it's not familiar to her and it's not what she's used to and she struggles with it a little bit more which I thought was interesting I liked it
1: I would put the the sandbenders on the same level as like the swamp benders like the Mm -hmm. the waterbender the hillbillies in the swamp um in that they seem like they got isolated and they just adapted and stayed there you know and they're both pretty skeevy
0: yeah well yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so yeah, so they see the sandbenders who are kind of sizing up Appa, and they get shoot off. And then, you know, they fly on Appa and they're looking for the uh they're looking for the library, they can't find it, and then eventually they spot something and it most of the library has been buried under the sand and there's this one tall spire going up. And they see a foxy knowledge seeker <laughs> climb up the uh, climb up the spire and go in through a window and go down and so they decide to go but they leave Appa and Toph behind. Appa because Aang's never going to make Appa go underground again after the Cave of Two Lovers because that was really traumatic for Appa Appa doesn't like to be underground yep. and Toph because similarly um you know she just she just doesn't she just doesn't want to go down there I can't remember her exact reason for not wanting to but I think it was her bending abilities like she just wasn't comfortable. Is that right, or am I misremembering? Oh, that sounds right. No, no, she can't read. No. She's illiterate. Oh, oh,
1: yeah. right. Yeah, she's totally over books.
0: I totally forgot. She's like, let me know if they have something cool to listen to. Or
1: yeah, right.
0: right, right.
1: She said she's <laughs> held books before, and they don't exactly do it for her. Yeah, yeah
0: that is right. I and which I really loved too. Um, they don't. They don't let. audience forget that Toph is blind or if we forget they remind us and it happens you know in a couple of different ways you know I think this is in the next episode but at one point they're walking and she bumps into Sokka and Sokka's like can't you watch where you're and he's like oh yeah no you can't (laughs) you know and it's like we although she has this ability to quote unquote see it has its limitations and it's not the same as the way that we see Um, yeah
2: well, it's also, too, when they're flying an op and they haven't found this library and they haven't found this library, and she's like, there it is! And everyone's like, there! Oh, right. And then she she's just like, looks, looks at that's them. That's what it's going to sound
0: like when one of you spot it.
2: Yeah, and she just, like, <laughs> waves her hand in front of her face, like, blind here, you guys. Like, of course I can't see it.
1: I love that she did that. I love that she was just screwing with them. like, you guys are keeping me up here for no good reason, yeah. so I'm going to have a little fun.
2: So, yeah, yeah, that's why she doesn't go. She she can't read. That's Obviously, right. there's not, like, an equivalent to
0: Braille or anything for her to, like, read. Okay. So, <laughs> Yeah, I'd forgotten that. I'm, I'm glad you reminded me. Because, um, yeah, that was really great and makes sense. Um, so it makes sense for her and Appa to be outside, which, of course, will become important later. But everybody else goes down. The Professor, Ang, Katara, and Saka go down. And they are confronted by the knowledge spirit, who is a great owl. And he is reluctant to allow anyone into his library. He says that humans only ever seek knowledge to use against other people and to cause harm, and that he will not allow that to continue. He's going to protect the knowledge that's here, and he won't let humans in. And they all state that they promise not to use they have no ulterior for the knowledge they're not going to use it for any purpose they're just here to learn and explore and you know visit the library and Aang gives his promise as the avatar the bridge between two worlds you know that it will all be fine and the spirit says they each have to make a donation to the library so the professor has a book that he donates that the owl accepts and Katara gives him the waterbending scrolls which he accepts and Aang gives him his wanted poster <laughs> which he accepts which I would reckon will someday have historical significance so right. I, can, <laughs> I can see He's that. He the avatar yeah. Um, and then Sokka does a knot and like hands it out it looks like a little dragonfly or a butterfly or something this little knot and uh the owl is like you're not too bright.
2: Are you? <laughs> Sokka's like it's a
0: special knot. That's knowledge. And Sokka's um, right, like <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, yeah.
0: um, and then, and and so you know the owl kind of makes you know some sarcastic comments, but begrudgingly accepts the knot, and so they're allowed into the library. And then this is where the one weird thing in this episode to me that I felt didn't quite ring true. So everyone starts exploring the library and they're taking books and they're looking at them and everything and Sokka starts to steal shit. Yeah. <laughs> he takes a book and like sticks it in his um bag and he takes like a scroll and um eventually he finds that scrap of the burnt firebending paper that will lead them, you know, to the next uh plot point, which we'll get to in a minute. But the stealing thing doesn't feel like Sokka to me. And it's purely out of like, do you think I'm stupid? Well, screw you. Like it, It's like a weird motivation where he's like offended by what the knowledge spirit said to him, and so he's going to take this stuff. It's not presented as, I'm going to take this stuff because I think this would be useful in fighting the Fire Nation. We, we switch over to that motivation later, and I think that makes sense, and I get that. From Sokka, where when he's using the Eclipse machine and trying to figure it out and the owl confronts him, you only want to use this for war, you know, all of that makes sense to me and I understand it. But the taking of stuff out of seemingly like petty, like I'll show you was weird to me. Did anybody else think that was weird?
1: It didn't stick out. But I also now that I'm thinking about it, I don't I can't remember if there's any payoff to that, like in another episode or something. So, I don't know. I mean,
0: they might be. But, like, it would even be solved for me if we just knew if he was just like, oh, this is a Fire Nation history tome. This is a. But they couldn't do that because the Fire Nation came in and destroyed all the Fire Nation stuff. Right. Zhao came in. You know? In and so, like, so they couldn't. It couldn't be a Fire Nation specific thing because there is no more Fire Nation specific stuff. But without that. Even if it turns out to be useful later down the road, I just feel like that initial moment of taking it doesn't make sense for Sokka.
2: I actually thought, because maybe because it does have payoff later. I mean, I think in the next episode he's carrying maps and star right. charts, oh, right. and that he's taken the stuff from that the, he
0: took. Yeah,
2: that he. So it may not necessarily be Fire Nation stuff. Exactly that he's taken, but maybe just, like, other things that he thinks might be useful. But I agree. Mm -hmm. I think the, like, the initial motivation of of him taking it just is not really what I expect Sokka to do. Yeah. It's really petty in a way that, I mean, Sokka can be petty, so it's not like, you know, it's completely out of character, but it's a little bit, yeah, it, 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 yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm not mad that he actually took the stuff so much as, like, the apparent reason for him taking it. It's just like, well, I'll show you. Right, if he had been more intentionally, like, I know I said I wasn't going to do this, but we really need this, and our need is more important, and I'm going to do it. I would have been fine with that, because I feel like that would have made sense. And they switch it over to that in like a couple of scenes, so I'm I'm like, alright, we're just gonna go with it where this is like
2: fine. I think maybe they had intended that from the beginning, it just didn't read that way initially.
0: Yeah. I yeah. I
2: think because like before you know, before they offer up their knowledge to Wan Shi Tong, he kinda of, like whispers to Aang like, We're really here to you know, like further our knowledge in this war. Right. So it's kind of like, so don't tell him, you're you're gonna vouch for me, won't you Aang? Yeah. And Aang's like, Yeah, sure You know yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I I agree. It did kind of come off a little a little weird in in the beginning. But I think that they intended from the start to have to Sokka have it. take it for, for actual like we need it purposes, but
0: Right. Right. I'll go with I'll headcanon that. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's what I'd prefer, so I'm willing to go with that for sure. Um but yeah, so then Sokka finds under glass. Kind of this one scrap of paper that relates to the Fire Nation's, um, was it Darkest Day? Yep. yep. And it, all it has on it is a date. And so a foxy knowledge seeker leads them to the area of the library that contains, you know, all the Fire Nation tomes and history. And they go through and it's all been burned. Uh, and You know, we know that Zhao was there previously and destroyed everything, and... Um... It's really... That in and of itself is such an interesting... Detail. Because...
1: Which detail?
0: Well, the the idea that um, Zhao destroyed everything. Oh. Because you're destroying, you know... The, the record of your people... I mean, I'm assuming that probably within the Fire Nation they keep their own records of stuff and it's not like this is necessarily the only library in the world. I mean, it could be, but it doesn't have to be. But this is the library that's kind of like the the place of all knowledge. Everything is kind of accumulated here in this library run by this spirit. And to eradicate the entire history of your people... Not uh, only to keep anyone else from using it, you know. So it's like there could have been poetry, there could have been, you know, great, you know, histories of. Yeah, but do you think Zhao actually different... cares about any of that? No, of course not. <laughs> of course not at all. But but the fact that he doesn't that uh, that in um, that moment he could make that choice to simply. Destroy everything rather than having anyone else ever find it. You know, not just selectively destroying the things that could make them vulnerable, but destroying all the things is so. I mean, I love. Books. and I work in book publishing and, you know, books are a huge part of my life and so there's something, like, blasphemous about that. <laughs> you know, is that the... Just, and you think of, like, the great libraries of Athens, you know, that were destroyed and, like, all of that. The history of destroying books, destroying knowledge to keep it out of the hands of other people. It's actually a pretty sound
2: military tactic if you think about it.
0: Absolutely, but... Horrifying to me. (laughs) I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying that I don't believe that Zhao would do it, or that it doesn't make sense. Like it makes complete sense. I understand why. It's just like another horrific thing. Like, I think it's another nod
1: to like Nazi Germany.
0: Yeah, the burnings. Yeah, right. Yeah. So
1: yeah, yeah, the Fire Nation is that totalitarian government.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, so it's really, I mean, that's really horrible, and then um, Asaka, you know, is like, we have to figure out what this date means, and they end up in the planetarium, and Aang has that really cute line, like, Sokka's vacation is definitely the best, yeah. <laughs> it's so beautiful and impressive, and...
2: Um, Also, to make a note about the Foxy Knowledge Seeker, we're kind of making a joke about it, but the thing is, it's like, it's an actual fox. It's not a fox hybrid, it's a fox. True. And I love that Sokka Sokka calls it weird. Does he? He does. They all refer
0: to the fox as weird. Because it's just a fox. Because it's just a fox, not a hybrid.
1: Oh, Right.
0: That's funny. I missed that. This
2: time around, I definitely noticed, like, all of them at some point call the fox weird. Like, when they mm-hmm. first see the fox spirit, they're like, what's that weird creature over there? And then it runs up they, and they're like, oh. And then, like, when when the fox spirit shows them how to use the planetarium, is like, thanks, weird fox creature.
1: That's so- right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and it kind of, like, grumbles or something. Yeah, just kind of
0: like... <laughs> I mean, they are not used to just, like, straight, straight animals. Up, straight up
2: animals, yeah. It's it's a non-hybrid animal, so they all call it weird, which I thought... I mean, they don't, obviously, they don't, like, call it out in that way, but I thought that was kind of kind of clever.
0: That's really funny. Huh. Yeah. So they go to the planetarium, and the planetarium's really cool. I like planetariums in real life. So do I. I do. I do, too. I love, I love them. <laughs>
1: I'd like them a little more if they looked like that, though.
0: Well, yes. Uh, I'd like a lot of things in life a little more if they looked like they do in this show. Um, And, you know, they're there, and as they're figuring out what they... So they put in this date, and they realize that on this date, there was a solar eclipse. And so we have addressed in the show in the past that, um, fire nation, firebenders get a surge of power from the sun, so they're more powerful when the sun is out, and waterbenders get a surge of power from the moon, so they're more powerful at night. So we've kind of laid the groundwork for this, clumsily, if you'll remember our discussion back yes <laughs> then. It, it wasn't, it wasn't laid in the best way, but we have laid that foundation, um, for some of this, which they realize that on the darkest day, on a solar eclipse, um, firebenders drastically lose, if not completely lose, their bending abilities. And so if they are going to stage an attack, the best time to do that would be on a solar eclipse. And so this is helping them strategize, you know, kind of their overall plan. And as they're working through this, the spirit... The, the knowledge spirit returns and accuses them of uh, breaking their promises, and Saka tries to explain, you know, this is a war and people are dying and we have to protect the people that we love and this is not, you know, our, our fault and whatever, and the knowledge spirit counters um, by saying, you know, you think you're the first person who's ever come here because of a war? You think that your side of the story is the only one, you know, that people have, and just kind of takes that long, objective view of it, because he is a spirit, and he is removed from Earth and its people and its concerns, you know? It's like it's like the gods looking down from Olympus, right? It's like they're not concerned about mortal things. And the, well, the spirits, gods of
2: Olympus actually are. The other well, they're gods.
0: really meddlesome. <laughs> <laughs> They're really meddlesome. They're maybe they're they're involved, but they don't necessarily. I don't know. That, but that's a whole other mythology. But they don't
1: have to worry about time the same way that people do. Yeah.
0: Right. It's a completely they exist different, outside of it. Yeah, and the spirits are similar. They're they are not. Um, they're taking a long view, and the particulars of this war do not concern this particular spirit he cares about preserving his knowledge and that it not be abused and he sees this as an abuse of this knowledge and there's nothing that they can do to persuade him of that um and so he attacks him
2: (laughs) and
1: And he tries to sink the liver yeah
2: he says he's gonna remove the
0: temptation entirely the temptation from everyone yeah and his neck gets like elongated and weird is that a real owl thing
1: no, mind um,
2: <laughs> but they don't they don't look like that I like, mean they can like yeah. stretch their necks and turn around, but like they don't
0: do that yeah banana. well, in the beginning, the owl does the like three sixty head thing, which I right. know is kind of an owl not quite a three sixty but you know turns yeah. all the way around, which I know owls can do i um, um
1: I looked up Wan Shi Tong on one of the avatar wikis or whatever I just briefly looked it up, and um, they said that they combined um two different wisdom animals or animal forms or whatever. One is the owl, which, you know, Athena and Minerva and all that. Um, And the other one is the snake, which I guess is a symbol of wisdom in Eastern countries. Yes, it is.
2: Like, particularly, Um, like, India, they tend to look at snakes as being... You know, that's where I think the Western idea of snakes being cunning comes from. Mm-hmm. But it's like, right,
0: because even biblically, you know, the snake tempts Eve to the tree of knowledge. Sort of a yeah, mm,
2: thing. but it just mm, there's always something wrong about spirits. This is the thing. Like anytime you encounter a spirit, there's just something just little wrong about. A oh, lot. and there's
1: something about the number ten thousand. Like he, the one who knows ten thousand things. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's said that the number ten thousand in at least maybe Buddhist um, beliefs or whatever is equivalent
2: for every like infinite everything. Yeah, it's actually like there is num- there are numbers like that in Eastern cultures. Um, there's an actual like a Korean song. It's like a folk song called Hanobekyun, which is it means like like five thousand years. But that's kind of like the the. Implication All that's, like, time, forever, yeah. yeah, forever. Okay. Um, and 10,000 is kind of the same way in kind of a lot of different cultures. It, it just means, like, um, I think, like, Mongol hordes and things like that, it's, like, 10,000 is kind of the number of, like, a horde. You know, even if it's okay. not exactly 10,000, it's this kind of an indication that it's a large number. Gotcha. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, there there are some cool things about the library itself. Like obviously the architecture is not typically like your what we've seen in before yeah. that kind of yeah, Indian great
1: buttresses.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I also love that they sniggered about it, too. Yeah, right. <laughs> um it's, it's more kind of Arabic influenced, and that's also somewhat true too, like in that time period the, the Muslim world had brought a lot of knowledge, you know, kind of there was a lot of knowledge going back and forth at that time. So I liked that, I thought that was pretty cool. That
1: Yeah, before the Mongols showed up and destroyed it, I think, Iran? One of those Middle Eastern countries was like the seat of all knowledge and technology and advancement and like health and They
2: never had everything. a Dark Ages the way the West did. They right. just continue. Like really? con- they never yeah. did. Yeah, the Muslim world never did. I know nothing about
0: history, which infuriates my husband, who is a history major.
2: Oh gosh. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, and so I know now. So all of this is fascinating to me because I genuinely don't know. And uh, so yeah, that's really cool.
2: Yeah, I mean, they're the one. the The Muslim world, the, the Arabic world, is they're the ones responsible for a lot of things that we know these days, including algebra. They They came up with algebra in the Middle Ages. They came up with the concept of zero, which we previously did not have. Um, So like, there's a lot of knowledge that comes from that part of the world. So I really loved that the library of Wan Chitong is kind of a nod to that. Mm -hmm.
0: They seem really intentional with the way that they reference things. We've talked before on this podcast about style of dress in different places that we go to here, and styles of architecture, and it does really seem like um, that those things are really intentionally done.
1: Yeah. I agree. Yeah.
2: I think they do a lot of lot of research into yeah. this before they started mm-hmm. doing it. So which it and it shows, and they don't because I feel like some other shows would have the temptation to be like, "Look at all this research that we've done," and mm-hmm. like point to right. it, but they just let it stand as being part of the yeah. world that they've created.
0: Yeah, I really like it. So yeah, he decide the spirit decides to sink the library, and. Um, we kind of pop back outside for a minute to Toph and Appa we've popped out to them a little bit throughout the entire episode they're just kind of hanging out and you know Toph's kind of trying to make some small talk <laughs> and at one point um she's like Appa I don't want to cuddle come on like,
1: it's, it's just Why, really cute though he's
0: so cuddly looking I know <laughs> Uh, it's really cute. And then she realizes that the library is sinking. And she is so badass that she literally holds it up. <laughs> I know! With her fists. Uh-huh. And it's awesome. <laughs> like,
2: <laughs> she single handedly, well, double handedly because it's both her hands, but just like holds up. The weight of this enormous library
0: against and the power. And
2: her fingers like dig in. Like dig yeah. into the walls.
0: Against the power of a spirit who is sinking it. You know, it's like it's the spirit's will or magic or whatever that instigated, you know, the sinking. So you have to think that that is some a pretty powerful force, in and of itself. And and you know clearly the uh, library itself must be made of stone. And she just jams her fists in and is literally holding the entire thing up alone, and it's amazing.
1: At one point, she like loses her grip for a second and then like swirls the sand below her feet to be I don't know flatter or something. I think she something like that hardens
2: she... the sand somehow yeah. that yeah. She's, so she's got a better... a better grip or a better right. kind of like something to brace yeah. against.
0: We've seen Katara do similar stuff, too, when she's, like, iced her feet in place. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. she's, like, like they... We've seen uh, benders give themselves that force. And then I think later on we see the sand benders like, do, swirl sand yeah. around yeah. their feet. in,
1: like, a minute or two. Similar.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, so it's really, you know... Obviously we know that she is a powerful bender. We've seen her be incredible before. But this was really, like... This was impressive. <laughs> I was like, you are holding up a building.
1: <laughs> She's 12. Yourself.
0: You know, yeah. And it's not just any building sinking into the sand. This is a building that a spirit has decided is going to sink in the sand. Like, if this was some next-level stuff from Toph. She was great. Um, and so, back in the library, Katara and the professor uh, split up from Sokka and Aang, because Sokka is like, we we need to go back to this planetarium and figure out when this date is if we don't figure this out we're never going to find it anywhere else this library will be gone forever and and we'll never know what to do we need this information it's vital and so he has ang come with him back to the planetarium and katara and momo and the professor are going to escape and the professor refuses to leave essentially Yeah, He's like the captain going down with the ship, and he's like, I love knowledge, and I've been searching for this place forever, and I could spend an eternity here. Like, it's okay if I die, because I'll be dying here. I feel like this is
1: part of Kelly's wistful future dream. No,
0: I don't want to die in a sinking library, but... Sure, not
1: (laughs) maybe that part, but like... There's some romantic nobility to that whole idea of like, well, I could die for knowledge in all the books in the world. I mean you <laughs> I know. feel
0: like
2: that's a common trope that we see of somebody yeah. who's just like i'm di- i'm going literally I'm going to die to protect the knowledge, or I feel like they they had this theme in Indiana Jones because actually this is kind of what the episode reminded me of with yeah. a lot of Indiana Jones um or like the mummy um okay. Just that kind of there's knowledge and knowledge is what's useful to them and then there's they're underground and excavating things and discovering things and so it's a little bit Indiana Jones to me and after after all he's an he's an archaeology professor so um, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of that and it felt like at the end of the Last Crusade the old dude the old knight that he talks to. He oh, yeah. was one of the original crusaders who he
1: was one of four brothers one of
2: four brothers, and he stayed behind to protect the the grail, yeah yeah.
0: It reminded me a lot to not specifically the staying behind, but the whole thing kind of reminded me of that scene in Aladdin where they're in the cave of wonders and Abu yes. takes the jewel he's not supposed to take, mm-hmm. and then right. everything starts to collapse against them. And I'm like, you you promised when you entered, you have to when you enter these sacred, strange, weirdo places, you have to adhere to the rules. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows this. You don't eat food in the fairy realm, and you don't break the rules when you're entering some you weird sacred space. You don't take things that you. You're not. You're not. You don't
2: touch things that you're not supposed to touch. You know?
0: <laughs> Keep your hands to yourself. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So the professor, you know, says I'm I'm gonna stay, and and he's euphoric about it. It's it's uh, he's he's, it's the realization of his dream, you know. So it's yeah. But Katara ends up getting out, and then Aang and Sokka go to this planetarium, and they're. We get kind of a long montage of them going... (laughs) I was thinking (laughs) that, too. I was like, it's It's a little bit awkward
2: that they start to leave and then they run back.
1: Yeah. Yeah, pacing-wise, it's a little weird. Yeah,
2: you'd think that, no, we can't leave yet because we need this information as opposed to... We're gonna escape. Oh wait, no. We should go back, which is kind yeah, of it was a little weird.
0: Weird. And Sokka, at least you know, because Ang is like, oh my God, we're gonna have to try every date in history uh, that could ever be. You know how? And Sokka points out rightly that no, we only need to check every date before Sisu's so comet. Yeah. Yep, because it, if the comet comes, it's kind of pointless. So. <laughs> I, I know. I love the
2: way he says. He, he's like, yeah, because by the time the comet comes,
0: well, and he just like doesn't
2: finish it. He's just kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you haven't done our it Mr. by then, deadline. then, yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so they check, and we get a lot of scenes of them checking, like the near miss where they go close, but they don't, you know, converge and whatever mm-hmm. else. And then finally, they find it, and it's just a couple months away. I don't think they name the actual date. Uh, they but don't I give don't think a so yeah, but we know it's in the near future. And I'm not so even sure then, if
1: they have months on this show. Like, did they? Yeah, no they don't I can't have, remember they don't
0: call it the way we would like
2: name our months um yeah. most of the time in eastern countries um months are just given a number, a numeral, so they just mm-hmm. it's the first month this you know of this is day. It a
1: twelve month cycle or it's, is it well like, it depends real where there's like thirty of them or something
2: it actually it depends. I think in China they use a lunar calendar So that can be mm-hmm. 12 or 13 full moons in a year So okay. that would depend And then um, for Korea and Japan They don't actually really abide by the lunar calendar They abide by the solar cal- calendar So they have 12 months um, But they, they all write it the same way They just It's like the, the numeral for 1 And then the pictograph for moon And that stands for month So it's like first okay. month, second month and you can see those symbols, like, on the on the Zodiac wheel he's turning. You can kind of see that um, mm-hmm. those symbols are kind of scattered around. So it, it's... They have a calendar, it, but it's not like ours. Right. Well, it is, but it isn't. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: okay.
0: So, yeah. So we know that that's going to be in the near future. And then um, they escape. And I don't remember. Oh, so they start to climb the rope and the... Owl pulls it down, and then Aang flies, um, them up. flies them out. And so they get out, and so as this is all happening, Toph is holding the building up to keep it from sinking, and the sandbenders come back. And uh, they begin to capture Appa. They, you know, cast ropes over his back, and they're uh, restraining him, and Toph lets go of the building and starts... You know, to help Appa, and then the building, you know, rapidly starts to sink, and she's forced to make the choice between saving her friends who are still trapped in the library and stopping the poachers or the kidnappers or, you know, the people from stealing Appa. Also, uh, her
1: aim is terrible because she can't, can't, really can't see in the sand. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which, again, I mean, I don't like it in that I like that she couldn't save Appa, but it's a, it's a great consistent character detail. Yeah. That it makes sense that this is the way that she operates in this environment because she's limited. Um, And so, you know, she's forced to make a choice and she chooses, I I think, correctly to, uh, you know, to try to continue to hold the building up so that Aang has a shot to get out with everyone. And they do get out. And when they get out, Toph is just sitting um, as the building sinks. And everyone else is really excited, but you can see on Aang's face that something is wrong, and it's just taking him a minute to like figure out what it is, and he kind of looks around, and then he's like, where's Oppa?" And Toph just shakes her head. Yeah and it's really sad. Well, it, yeah. it ends, it ends <laughs> on his eyes starting to tear
2: up, Aang's eyes yeah. starting to tear up, but it's just the way Ta very defeatedly just kind of shakes her head and kind of says no, and she doesn't say anything, she just kind of gives this very defeated whimper. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, it's so sad. And then, of course, like when Alpa's being dragged away and he's a little helpless looking and he's just like, hmm. was yeah. like, he's so sad I oh, know and it's also <laughs> like too when she apologizes she apologizes to Appa she's like because she has to make that choice I'm the, sorry I'm right. uh, sorry no. Appa oh, oh I was like oh <laughs> I told you when this show gets you in the feels it gets you in the feels like really good
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that's the end of the episode yeah I mean it ends on that that note yeah um, this really is kind oh, of a
2: two-parter as well, even though it's not. Yeah, yeah. It's not as much of a two-parter as as it ha- other episodes have been, like Winter Solstice. Well, Part we don't one
0: resolve and
1: two. it. Yeah, yeah, we didn't get re- Papa back. Yeah, yet. But
0: I, but it, it is. I agree that it is a two-parter, even though it's not resolved, because this is very much the we're dealing in the next episode with the emotional fallout. Yes. Um, Mike, who are the voice actors?
1: Um, there were only two new voices in this episode. Um, the first was Professor Zay, he is an actor named Raphael Sabarge, which is spelled S B A R G E. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Um, he's been on Prison Break. Uh, he played Ralph Becker. He was uh, he's been on Murder in the First a bunch of episodes. He was Archie Hopper and Jiminy Cricket on Once Upon a Time. Which I guess is a dual That's role. where
0: I know his voice from.
1: Okay. And When I, I was on maternity
0: him. leave, I watched Once Upon a Time. is um, live action? It is. Okay. And yeah. it, it's exactly what you think it would be. <laughs> 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 Ringing endorsement from Kelly. <laughs> but yeah, I knew I recognized his voice and I didn't know from where, but that is it?
1: I actually had a moment where I thought he was someone else. I could have sworn that he was a voice actor that, like, I'd heard... Did you think he
0: was Matthew Broderick? Because I also had that thought I did not (laughs) think he was Matthew
1: Broderick. I thought that I had heard his voice in, like, an old King's (laughs) Quest game or something. Like, one of those old Sierra games uh, from back in the day. But, yeah, it just turns out that he's not that guy. And there's a lot of alto men out there who sound like Jack Skellington. Um... (laughs) But I know him mostly from um, he was in what the hell Mass Effect. He was in the Mass Effect uh, video game trilogy. He played Cade Nalenko, who I never missed an opportunity to murder. <laughs> they give you an option <laughs> in the game to like save him or someone else, and I'm like, I want to save the other person. I, I don't like You're this like, guy. whatever, I'm gonna let him go. Pretty much. Um, okay. The <laughs> other the other actor is of course Hector Elizondo. Playing Wan Um he played Joe. The I guess he was like a butler in the Princess Diaries. He was like,
0: yeah, he royal. Was, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Man
1: servant of some kind. But he had like it was also
2: romantic subplot with Julie Andrews' uh-huh. character in and the second he was one. Kind right? of a bodyguard in the first one yeah. too. You get a little bit of that kind of romantic yeah. sublo- subplot there. Um, but yeah, he was kind of like their bodyguard slash chauffeur slash right man servant I'm not sure
1: he in was Jackaball also trades. a servant in he played Barney Thompson in the movie Pretty Woman Um that? <laughs>
2: I'm trying to
1: like he was I mean he was like a hotel concierge I think <laughs> oh in the... he
2: was he was the hotel concierge okay yeah. that makes sense it's like...
1: um, he's voiced Bane in a bunch of Batman the animated series um, straight to DVD movies and he was in an episode of The West Wing, uh, playing Dr. Milgate, Sam Seaborn's old physics professor, trying to get the, hang on, super-colliding, super-conducting con- super supercollider? There was a whole yeah! thing about that. The
0: Hadron super collider.
1: I mean, that's what it was, but they couldn't in say In real life, that. but in West they called it
0: something else. Um,
1: <laughs> and my favorite uh, role that I found of his, at least just to read... Um, apparently in the 90s there was a cartoon show called Fish Police and he was in a few episodes playing Calamari <laughs> the man has won Tony's several <laughs> but yeah that's, uh, that's everybody for that episode
0: He's... what did he win Tony's for? Yeah.
1: I don't know I but remember. I know that he has why He's would like you a... not
0: look that up when you know what a theater kid I am
1: I don't know didn't you, you guys meet
0: we did technically in high school what did we do? we met through drama club
1: oh yeah when we were like 15 ish Mm -hmm. that's
2: true yeah he's done i'm trying to see now i have to look up what is what his (laughs) theater credits are i mean he has a gorgeous voice that's the other thing is he has a really beautiful voice he He does does. so when he starts talking just like whoa um awards and nominations he won bunch of obies he won and it was nominated for emmys he won an emmy for being on chicago hope
1: oh yeah i forgot to write that down he was like one of the long-running cast members of that show like a hundred something episodes
2: um it doesn't look like he was he won a tony he's won obies
1: has he been nominated i could have sworn i i've heard him get awards for stage stuff well the obies are the, the obies are a right? stage one yeah yeah, okay. He
2: he won an OB, so... It, the OBs okay. are for off-Broadway, whereas Tony's mm-hmm. are for the Broadway.
1: Gotcha. Okay, well, shows what I know. Cool. Cool.
0: Alright, was there anything else about this episode that we didn't cover that you guys want to mention? Just one I is- just
1: liked the physics, like the idea of the physics behind sandbending, because it is just a sail. Like, it's just... Like, it should be airbending, which is what, when we get to the next one, Aang eventually does, but... Like, if you think about it, if you could move sand without touching it and spread it out, you could get pretty much the same effect.
0: Like, mm-hmm. you, would
1: be, you would be providing the force, and the sail would be catching it, moving the ship along. I don't know. It's like a dumb little thing, but I, I just like that that's, they clearly put some thought into that of like, oh, yeah. how, would, how would this work?
0: I like it.
2: Mine's just a line the professor says in the very beginning when he's, like, all excited about Aang and the Air Nomads and Momo comes up and starts chittering away. Oh, no, he sees Appa and he's like, oh, the stories this beast could tell, and then Momo comes up and starts talking and he's like, shush, chatty monkey. Oh,
1: right. Right. No one wants to hear
2: from Momo. Poor Momo. Poor Momo. He's very cute. Very dumb, but very cute. (laughs) But that's it. Oh, I guess one other small thing is, um, I just noticed this in a scene where the, there are animals around the rim of the calendar Uh that are the Chinese zodiac.
1: Oh. Oh, I didn't notice that. In the
2: planetarium, yep. Cool.
0: So, moving on to the next episode for today, uh, The Desert. Aang unravels as the group searches the desert for his lost friend. Iroh proves his passion for Pai Sho has a point. So, in this episode, we basically get the emotional fallout of Appa being gone. And this is another thing. So, I mentioned that I knew, somehow, that Appa gets taken. But I really thought they would get him back right away. Immediately. Yeah, I thought this would be a two-parter. And, you know, they'd go off and they'd find the people who got him and... You know, we'd have the episode to show what it's like when Aang doesn't have Appa, and we'd do all that character development, and then we'd get him back and we'd move on. And that is not what happens in this episode (laughs) at all. Uh, We do get all that character development, but we do not resolve the issue. Um, So Aang is understandably devastated about the loss of Appa. And when you think about it, you know, so Aang was a kid, and they told him that he was the airbender, or that they told him, rather, that he was the Avatar, and then within a couple of weeks of that revelation, he ran away from home and got encased in ice with his Sky Bison Abba for 100 years. And over the course of that 100 years, everyone that he knew and loved died, with the exception of Boomy, who's now gone crazy. And not only did everyone he know and loved die, but the entire world has been ravaged by a war that he was meant to stop. That he did not stop, because he was encased in ice. So, he's lost everyone. All of his friends, his mentors, his family. He has one surviving friend who has gone round the bend uh, and is now you know, 100-plus years old. He is still mantled with this burden that has now been made worse because he had avoided it for so long, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And the only constant through all of this has been Appa. Appa has always been there. Appa was there at the Northern Air Temple. Appa was there in the iceberg. Appa has been there on this journey. Appa has always been there. And now they've taken Appa. And it's
1: awful.
0: <laughs> it's yeah, so the episode pretty
1: much picks up right where the last one left yeah. off, like moments later. Yeah,
0: and.
1: Um, Aang is screaming at Toph about how she, ne- he, she never really liked Appa. Yeah, because
0: we get that scene a couple episodes ago where she blames Appa's shedding for the fact that. Um, Azula was able to track them, and she's right, but she says it, you know, when tempers are high in a, in a not productive way, yeah. you know. She's kind of a dick. <laughs> she was kind of a dick yeah, in that she moment. Is. <laughs> um, you know, and so he hearkens back to that moment, and is like, you've never liked Appa, and you, da, 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 and it probably makes sense, too, that uh, Toph is not comfortable flying on Appa because she doesn't... She can't see, you know? Like, we've talked about every time she's animated, when they're flying, she's, like, hunkered down and clutching
2: She's, like, clutching the edge
0: of the saddle, like, really tight. Yeah. Like, for her, it's not... and, And that's not personal to Appa. It's just, you know, the situation as it is. And so it's really easy for Aang to draw on those things and to say, you know, you never liked him. But, of course, we just spent a whole previous episode flashing to the two of them, like, seemingly, like getting along great you know it's like awkward small talk or whatever but Toph is is was genuinely um torn about whether or not to save Appa, tried to save Abba couldn't do it you know was gutted when she couldn't and even in all those moments before the sandblasters come or the sandbenders um, <laughs> let's call them let's, sandblasters for now on <laughs> do it. uh before they come Appa
1: got sandblasted
0: before they come, you know, she's sitting there and she's, you know, she's kind of curmudgeonly. So she's not like a warm, open person. But you know, they're they're getting along. There's geniality there and affection there. Um, and Katara interrupts and says, "You know, Aang, you know that Toph saved our lives and you know did what she had to do, and this is not her fault." Uh, but Aang can't hear that right now, and. They're traveling through the desert, and the results are twofold. So on the one hand, we have Aang's emotional fallout from losing his best friend, essentially, and losing the one mainstay of his life, and dealing with the repercussions of that. And then there's also the fact that Appa is a blow to the group because he is their main mode of travel. You know, Ang kind of calls them out for being selfish and being insensitive and only caring that Appa's gone because now they have to walk. But, like, logistically, it is a huge blow to the group. They are stranded without him uh, and never would have gotten to the desert in the first place without Appa and now don't have much hope of getting out. And so we're kind of exploring those two things. So they're forced to walk, and it's hot, and they don't have a lot of water. The only water that they have is Katara's water from the Spirit Oasis, uh, which they do drink.
1: The swamp. Oh, from the swamp? the swamp. The Spirit Oasis water she keeps like. So, I thought that's like somewhere special. Else, yeah. Yeah.
0: <gasps> that's just her
2: skin with just water for her bending use. It's not actually the Spirit Oasis water.
1: Yeah, the Spirit Oasis comes in like a fancy diamond-looking bottle thing.
0: I. Had not made that connection. And I have to... You thought they were drinking I thought they were. Special water? And I thought she'd been bending with it this whole time. I thought that was, like, the water that she kept on her and was bending <laughs> with it. And I was kind of like, I feel uh... like you should be conserving this. you should be more careful just like, yeah. But that makes a lot more sense now. I'm...
1: They even say, like, oh, this tastes kind of swampy. Yeah,
0: well, that's... I thought that she had been, like, using it in the swamp and whatever <laughs> she's been using this magical water to, to I was like, that's not really the wisest choice, but... You do you, I guess. Um, I guess we haven't seen her fill the water skin necessarily. That's fine. I mean, I, could, I, mean, I don't need to we see do, it. We
2: do see it later. We see her fill it later with water bending, but like, I guess we haven't to this yeah. point seen her fill it. I,
0: I don't know why. I just assumed. I think because I didn't notice her carrying one in season one, and she may have, but I just m- might not have noticed. But I didn't notice her carrying it until season two. I don't think she had
1: one in season one. I don't think
2: so either. Yeah, I think they just got it along the way. Yeah, I didn't
0: notice you know? it until season two, and since she got the special water at the end of season one, and then started carrying this pouch, I just assumed that's what she was carrying. That makes a lot more sense. It was
1: probably. Oh, sorry. I was. It. It was probably a given to her by. Um, yeah. What, what's the water bending master in the north? Paku. When, you Paku. know, he loaded her up with scrolls and shit. Yeah. Um, before they left, I'm, I'm assuming because that just seems like basic water vendor equipment. Right? Yeah. Have a reservoir well, on you. I
0: like you. The that. Time, much yeah. better because all this time I've been thinking that she's been really cavalier with this special water. And so, <laughs> 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 so I'm glad to know that it's just regular water that she's been carrying around. It's not a little bit swampy. That's fine. Um, so yeah. So she's—they're not drinking the special water then, they're, but they're drinking, you know, the only non-special water that they have. Uh, which is pretty limited. And we see some cool stuff with that too. Like at one point it spills and she bends it out of the sand and gets it back um, for them to drink, which I thought was cool. Uh, But it's hot and they don't have food and they don't have water and Abba is gone and everyone is just really beaten down. And Aang is so unlike himself. We don't We don't see Aang defeated or um, depressed or angry. And he's really angry in this episode. You know, we've seen him struggle with different things momentarily. I guess he's felt defeated before, felt like he can't handle something or, you know, lashed out at people. But the regret is always immediate. You know, when he yells at Toph, he's like, I can't believe I yelled at my earthbending t-shirt, you know, previously. And and it is his nature to be happy-go-lucky, to be positive, to look on the bright side of things. And all of that is gone. It's just completely stripped away. And he is just increasingly more and more angry, which kind of builds and builds until we get to the climax. Uh, and it's...
1: I feel like we saw a, a really brief flash of this um, in the first episode of season two, The Avatar State, mm-hmm. where... Uh, the general is, like, sinking Katara into the ground, and Aang is, like, pleading with the general to, like, you don't have to do this. Like, he actually screams that at him. And I remember thinking, like, that was the first time we really heard him emote on that level of, like, desperation and fear and anger. And there's a lot of it in this episode.
2: Yeah, I was mentioning a little bit earlier is because Aang as we mentioned presents that cheerful facade constantly and it partly I think it's part of his nature and I also think it's partly a defense mechanism he doesn't really want to show people how upset he is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he can get and this is also the first this is the first episode we see him really emotionally vulnerable Mm -hmm. yeah and I think because I was and I mentioned this a little bit to Kelly earlier that I remember watching this, when I watched this for the first time, this is probably the first episode where I really emotionally connected to Aang. Where, because before, and I'd mentioned before that he's always been a little bit of a cipher, you know, he's got that background um, that we don't know much about, like his culture is gone, so we don't see it firsthand, we only see it through his memories. He'd been so cagey about why he left and didn't want to become the Avatar, so he doesn't like break down and give us like the deep emotional stuff. We don't get it the same way we got it with Zuko. We don't have that with Aang. And so when this episode comes around and he really is vulnerable and he's allowing himself to be cruel. That's the other thing. We've never seen him be cruel. He's always been compassionate and kind. Like even that even bitter bitter work where Toph has caught his glider and she's like using it to crack nuts and he's like please i would rather you not do this yeah, it's really like right. <laughs> you know he he's he's that kind of person where he takes stress and he tries to, to keep calm but he just he's not even making the effort now he's just like well nope i'm mad i'm going to be cruel because what he says to Toth is cruel because yes. like before he snapped at her because they were tired and they didn't have enough sleep and, they, and everyone she
0: had provoked him, him she had she had blamed yeah. appa and he responded but here she hadn't done anything. It was a completely unprovoked attack.
2: Um, So I think this is the first time you really see Aang human. I think you see a different side to him and I think that's the first time at least when I watched this for the first time that I really emotionally connected to Aang. I
0: think I agree because I have felt sad for Aang. I mean, I have been aware of and acknowledged that his circumstances are tragic in a lot of ways. And, you know, in in that, like I think it's like the third or fourth episode of the whole show, really early on, when he goes to the Northern Air Temple and he's holding out hope that it might be okay and there might be people there. And, you know, then he finds Monk Yatso's bones and, you know, there's this whole horrible thing and he kind of goes into the Avatar state um, for the first time that we see. And, and that is really emotional. And I, there's been things like that where I have... I have felt emotion, but in like a disconnected way. It's been very detached, like I understand intellectually that this is sad and I feel sad because of this, but Aang has been a hard character for me to to emotionally connect to. I mean, I have my weird emotional connection with Katara where it's like looking in a mirror and it makes me really uncomfortable. (laughs) <laughs> and then I love Sokka because Sokka is just adorable and the best. And, you know, similarly with Iroh. Like I said, the in, in the world,
2: I would, I would totally would. Oh, totally I
0: want Sokka to be my boyfriend if I was a character in <laughs> like, Avatar. Completely. Really?
2: Absolutely. Um, Tylee totally gets it. She's like, that guy's cute. And I was like, yes, he is,
0: Tylee. <laughs> um, yes, 100%. And then Zuko, obviously, I don't even need to go into because my heart. Uh, but... Aang has been one of the last ones. I feel like even like Ty Lee and May and Azula who are new um, I have more of an emotional foothold with them. You know even Azula who is not by any means vulnerable or sympathetic or anything but it's so fun to hate her and it's so fun to see what she's (laughs) going to do next and so I'm engaged in a really different way. And it's not that I don't care about Aang or that I'm not engaged or whatever. It's just that out of every, uh, like everybody else, has more stuff going on,
1: and it's also hard to relate to the Messiah right. character.
0: Yeah, and so like
1: it's easier to relate to the people he surrounds himself exactly. with.
2: Exactly, it's like Harry, you know, Harry Potter. He's kind of the everyman, so you can't necessarily get the same foothold on Harry as you do like Ron or Hermione or other, other people, people in that like, series.
0: Yeah. So, Um, yeah, so I agree that seeing Aang in this much pain and this quote-unquote out-of-character, it's not out-of-character, because I do believe that Aang would have this emotional reaction. So it's true to character, but it's so outside of his usual, like, standard operating procedure. Like, it's so completely (laughs) different for him that even though it's a true character moment... For the the viewer, it's jarring because we don't see Aang this way. Um, And it it was, it did make him seem more human to me, and it did make me more invested emotionally in his character. Um, And we just see it escalate and get worse and worse. You know, at one point there's a cloud that goes past the moon and it is vaguely Appa-shaped, and uh, he gets really excited, and I got really Excited, Like, briefly, for a moment. I'm serious. (laughs) For a moment, I was like, oh, Hoppa escaped! And it's, you know, because I believed that he was going to come back at the end of this episode. And so I was like, oh, he got free, and we're going to get him, and we're going to go punish these sandblasters, and it's going to be great. Um, And Anne gets all excited, and then, of course, it's just a cloud, which is just such a, a hard blow to absorb. And then Katara, rightly and smartly, says, you should fly up there and bend the water from that cloud into this, uh, into my water skin so that we can have water. Um, And Aang, like, grips the skin out of her hands and jolts up and really quickly does it and comes back down and basically throws it at her. Um, And she looks in and she's, you know, it's like everything that she does and everything that everyone does in this episode is not directed toward Aang. It's all said without judgment. It's completely neutral information and he just reads it as hostile because of the way that he's, you know, the place that he's in. So she says, you know, oh, there's, there wasn't a lot of water in there and he just blows up at her about it and everyone. Um, and is that the point when he breaks off and leaves? I think it might
1: be. Oh, where he's going to go look yeah. for Appa on his own?
2: I think it might be.
0: Yeah, because he's... He
2: does, he does go off and look for Appa yeah. periodically on his glider and kind of goes off and comes back. But... Yeah,
0: because he says to Katara, you know, I've been looking for Appa and Appa did this for us and everybody died, and What have you been doing? And Katara's just like, I'm just trying to hold everybody together. Like, I'm just... Just trying to keep us alive, yeah. you know? Um. Oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. And so at some point, Aang does go off and goes to search for Abba on his own, and Katara is leading everyone, you know, onward. I don't even know that they have a direction that they're going. They're
2: trying to get to Ba Sing Se, because at the end of the library yes. they said, we need to get this information to the Earth King and at Ba Sing Se, so we can plan a course of attack against the Fire Nation. So that's their plan of attack, essentially, is that they're going to try and find Ba Sing Se, But, of course, without Appa now, I think Katara pulls out, like, a star chart, and she's like, okay, we can try and navigate this way. You know, so that's kind of their end goal. But obviously they're on foot, and they kind of have no real idea where they are, and they're kind of just sort of trying to survive and, and walk. That's kind of... And I think so much about this episode. Obviously it's it's... For me, it was my first way into Aang as a character to like really just kind of get emotional hold on him. But I think this episode shows just how much of a bedrock Katara is mm-hmm. for everyone in the group. Mm-hmm. That she, you know, that she is like she's like okay, I've got a better, I've got a bigger goal in mind. I don't care if people are sniping at me. I don't right. care if whatever. I just have to keep this group together and we have to survive. So yeah. she, and she just handles it like a champ. Oh yeah, she's <laughs> the great. The whole time.
0: She's really great. And I also love, too, I know we I did mention this before, but just to go back to it for one second, I love that when Aang is blaming Toph in the beginning, that it's her fault that Appa got away, or was kidnapped, rather, and Katara comes to her defense. I love that Katara comes to Toph's defense, because we had that previous episode where they were snippy, and I had said, you know, I don't want this to be a show that just makes the two female Female characters eh. and I'm fine if they don't have to become bestest friends but I like that that's not like gonna be the the constant through line of their relationship they might bicker again they might whatever but it's not like the constant undertone of everything that they do which I appreciate Um, we have a comedic interlude because we really really need it Wherein <laughs> the best part of this episode, to be completely it's honest, it's amazing.
1: Stole every scene. It's
0: amazing. <laughs> Wherein Sokka drinks from a cactus, which is a really resourceful and smart. Because normally, you know, the actually it's not. It's not. No, it's not. See, I know nothing. I would. I would be so high out in the desert, you guys. You would be <laughs> okay. So here's the thing about. I grew up out in the West Coast, and a lot of my camping was kind
2: of either beach, mountain, or desert-oriented, and I was part of Girl Scouts for most of my childhood, so, like, all the way through high school. So we did a lot of camping in that way, and that's kind of one of the first things you learn is don't, don't eat the cactus, because it's actually poisonous. Most of the time, it's poisonous. It, it's like any other plant. It has moisture, but it's not, like, filled with water the way it's often depicted, like this like you slice it off and there's like a reservoir of liquid in there it's not actually like that and i'm pretty sure that's this is where mescal comes from so like yeah. you will get high you will either poison yourself or you will hallucinate um the native americans in the desert used to drink cactus juice to Connect themselves with the gods and nature. So that's like yeah, I said, do not drink
0: cactus juice Sam if you're lost in the I am essentially yep. useless, you guys. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so good to know because I would have been Sokka. So Sokka does this inadvisable thing, which everybody knows not to do except for me. And <laughs> uh, he gets super, super high.
1: He is tripping balls <laughs> and it's for the entire episode. So the
0: animation, one of the things that we love and that we comment on frequently throughout the run of this show is that they will adjust the animation style to reflect something you know, else, like we've seen it get all dreamy when Katara has a crush or Aang has a crush and we've seen it Um, The watercolor style when they were talking about the origin of Omashu. So we've seen these different kinds of anime styles come into play and here we just I don't even know what to call it, but it's just adorable.
1: Fear and loathing in Boston, say desert In the or whatever desert Desert. Yeah, are they- desert? It's, yeah. Like,
0: it's it's very like his fingers go away, like the ends of his hands are just like little nubs, <laughs> and he's all noodly <laughs> looking. He's, like, all yeah. and he's got like the pink cheeks and the big eyes, and he's like big. Yeah, his pupils, pupils are crazy like, dilated, enormously dilated. Yeah, and the colors are all like Technicolor, Lisa Frank rainbow, like gloriousness. <laughs> it's
1: uh-huh. so
0: good. It's so so good, and he's just...
1: Every line he had was my favorite line. Yeah. All, all of them.
2: <laughs> It'll quench ya. It's the quenchiest.
1: <laughs> right? When Ang freaks out off in the distance and slams into the ground and makes that mushroom. giant mushroom cloud of sand, it's a and giant mushroom. it's a mushroom that could be friendly. Maybe
2: it's friendly. Friendly oh. mushroom. Mushy, giant friend. And he's like there, and he's like all noodly <laughs> back. I love the soccer in this episode. He's just... Everything about him. Anytime he says something... Like, he's got moments of clarity, but, like, he's still tripping balls, Uh like, regardless of... Even if the animation style is straight, and it's, like, from, like, Katara or Toph's point of view, and it's straight, Mm. he's still in whatever magic la-la land that he's he's tripping on. It's so funny. <laughs> it's really great. I'm
1: pretty sure that the creators of this show may have done some research in this particular I'm field. I'm sure
2: they did.
1: <laughs> because, they went to RISD. Oh, yeah, they did, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. That's, art school is a good place to score drugs, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they they really nail some very particular little aspects of this sort of activity that I feel like a lot of shows do this where, um, like a lot of popular shows have the episode where everybody gets drunk uh, uh, everybody accidentally gets drugged or on purpose yeah, gets right, drugged right. and like a lot of the time it's not they don't really know what they're talking about, but this is you not feel one you of feel feel this is authentic. <laughs> I do yeah. I, I sense it's authenticity <laughs> Well, it's
2: also because he doesn't actually act like he's drunk, because that's often what people do in these shows when a yes. character gets high or whatever, they animate them or they act them as they're, though they're drunk, or right. stoned, which is the other one. You know, they either act as if they're drunk or if they're stoned, um, possibly like giggly high, but that's not Sokka. Sokka is no. actually animated and acted as though he's tripping, and he is yes. tripping. <laughs>
0: Much much needed. needed. I mean, this is a bleak, bleak, bad episode. episode. And so, so we need, we need, that, we need like a interlude. interlude, interlude uh, whenever uh, whenever, whenever
1: it pops
2: up. up so. I love that Sok also keeps mentioning. He's like, I, he's like, yeah, I think I'm fine now. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
1: <Maybe it's very laughs> up, that's so another one of so those little
0: authentic touches. Yeah, some real, real world world story. story.
1: The first, the first time first I ever time I I got job was, about,
0: was two weeks, about two weeks before I turned before 21, because 21, because I was exactly a good 2 and And Mike, Mike used, to used to have, have annual 4th of July, July parties that parties were epic, ever epic and were, were much mourned when they were finally, they were finally uh, put, to uh, put to rest a couple years ago. Years ago. We, no we no longer no have, have them, but for years, for years, Mike's...
1: I want to say seven yeah, eight I mean, years. It in a was crushing a decade.
0: Um, that Mike yeah. had these epic Fourth of July parties, and so uh, on one of them, it was two weeks before I was turning 21, and I had never been drunk. I had had the occasional sip of wine, and at uh, various parties, I remember holding rolling rocks or cider jacks. Uh, yeah, well, it wasn't my party.
1: <laughs> Rolling Rock That wasn't my party yeah. either
0: Rolling Rock tastes like 17 and Bad it Decisions It really does And uh, some, what is it, is it Keystone? Um, <laughs> oh yeah. dear god So I would hold one White lightning. I would like hold one at a party And then wait until no one was paying attention And put my full one down and pick up an empty can And act <laughs> like I just finished it Because I was an obnoxious giddy two shoes But the two weeks before I turned 21, I was like, okay, I have to get drunk under age one time. I don't know why this was something that I felt like I had to do, but it's something that I felt was like an important rite of passage that I had to do. And I was really nervous about it because I'm weird and, like, overly, like, a, a kind of a control freak. <laughs> But not really a control freak, but a little bit. Um, And so I was like, I want to be sure that I'm safe, and I want to be around people who are going to look out for me. And, like, it was this whole big production. And so everybody at this party knew that I was going to be drunk for the first time. (laughs) Two weeks before I was 21 at Mike's 4th of July party. I got drunk on Kahlua mudslides. Oh yeah. no! It was Amazing. fine. It was fine. <laughs> I didn't get sick or anything. But so I'm, I'm drinking these Kahlua Mudslides, and I'm I'm in your kitchen, Mike, your, your parents' kitchen, and mm-hmm. I'm drinking them, and I've had one, and I've had two, and they're Kahlua Mudslides, so they don't taste like alcohol. They taste like a milkshake. Right. So I was probably drinking them pretty fast, and I start talking about how. When am I gonna get drunk? When is it gonna kick in? I'm not drunk yet, you guys. I'm just nursing this drink. I haven't even. I said everybody that remembers this night makes fun of me for saying I'm just nursing it when I'd had like six, <laughs> 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 and uh, and just got ridiculously drunk for the first time at Mike's party. But but it was. I was like, wait. I was like, I'm not drunk, you guys. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm fine.
1: She was just, I was nursing, just nursing it.
0: it. Um, so, yeah, so I understand Sokka when he's talking about being fine and not actually being fine. <laughs> well,
2: there is a particular thing about being on a trip. Well, yes. That is a very different experience where you're like, I can function. Nope. Okay.
1: <laughs> you're just like, yeah.
0: yeah. no, I'm functional. No. Okay, maybe no. not. You know? Yes, is. Right. Yes, I'm sure that it is very different, but it just reminded me of that particular, ridiculous
1: story. I love the, I love the part where it's, uh, like, you know, I'm functional, and then someone says, hey, let's go into that (laughs) 7-Eleven, and oh god, I'm not functional anymore, I don't know if I can do this, guys. There's
2: a whole point, too, where he's like, I think I'm fine, this is kind of a little bit later in the episode, where they come into the buzzard, wasp, Yeah, yeah, yeah. right, um, but he's, and they're fighting off the buzzard wasps and, and the guitarist is something like, it's like, it's like, it's, you know, what are you, why are you talking about that rock or whatever? And he's like, oh, I guess I'm not fine. <laughs> and, yeah, and right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, well, yeah. yeah.
1: He also licked some goo right. off the wall yes. for yeah. no real reason. Oh, does not taste good. Oh, I guess we skipped over the part where they found a sand. Glider? What do they
0: call? Yeah, the
2: boat so sailor, ship, sand, sand, sand sailor, sailor, whatever the hell, or a skiff. Yeah. Maybe I'm not quite sure,
1: but they found one buried in the sand and you know well, used it. Well, to that's get even out. later.
0: So they find this wasp thing, which we had we just talked about. We kind of got to it at a roundabout wait That's how
1: they got to but the wasp thing. that's how they thing, got to the wasp thing. Yeah, the wasp thing was the magnetic center of the desert. Because the the, that's sand the sailor had the, the
2: compass. Oh, I remember and that, but it was pointing that way. I didn't find
0: that until, and I'm confused about when Aang came back and when he didn't so he's with them in the wasp thing okay yes I'd forgotten that
2: he leaves because. and then Taka trips over the prow of the sand right. sailor and she's like ah there's a boat in the desert yeah. and they like, can... boat oh yeah. yeah and then they're like okay
0: yeah okay so they get um, to this it's the magnetic center of the thing and it's um And Toph is really funny because she's finally like, I can see! I can bench stuff! I'm so excited! She makes
1: dirt angels in the 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 soil. That was really
0: great. That was really great. I loved that. Um, You know, yeah. And then they go in and Sokka eats the stuff and it's the circle birds. It's the the buzzard wasp things or whatever. And they fight those and then they leave. Um,
2: I also like that Again, we come upon the limitations of Toph's abilities, because she can't sense anything that's yeah, fine. Yeah, she's like,
0: where is it?
1: Right.
2: Yeah, so she can't aim and, and, and shoot anything at them, so I like later too that Katara is basically aiming her. She's like, okay. Right. Now, now this, straight ahead, like, she's like turning Toph, like, kind of, almost like a gun. She's just kind yeah. of like,
0: this way. <laughs> I thought that was really great too, because, yeah, doesn't she almost hit Sokka? She almost hit someone, and she's like, I can't see. <laughs> just...
1: Yeah, yeah it was Saka. I think it was Saka, the buttman. I mean well, who else right. would it have been? Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> so then they leave there and they they get to the outpost, village thing. Where do they go?
1: I thought I thought that they stayed there and the sandbenders showed up. <laughs> yeah, the sandbenders and like band- and showed up the
0: I only watched this episode once, so I'm clearly fuzzier on the order of things and the details and whatever else. But yeah, so the Sandbenders show up, and at first believe that they've stolen the ship.
1: Believe that Aang and everybody has stolen the ship.
0: And then when they explain, um, I guess it's the leader, the dad of the bad dude.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Right his name is hang on shamo which i wrote down as shamona because michael jackson that
0: was really good thanks um yeah so the the leader the father shamona is um <laughs> is you know seemingly hospitable once they clear up the notion that Aang and his crew did not steal this uh, sandblaster ship. And then as they're talking um, and they mention that Appa's gone, the son gets like weirdly aggressive and like angry and is like you stole our ship, why would we listen to you? Blah, blah blah Even though they've already resolved that.
2: Yeah, because the leader right. of the sandbenders is like, we have to offer them hospitality. Right. And and the son's like, no, oh, we can't
1: do that. Right, he's all projecting his guilt right. onto the Which, situation. I mean, he must
0: be really dumb, because he's already gotten rid of Appa, so there's no, like, there's no evidence. No way, no like, need, yeah. You know, like, why are you, <laughs> right. you know, so he's just an idiot. Um, but his... And then Toph calls him out on it, too,
2: because she recognizes right. his voice. voice as being,
1: yeah. Which I, at first, I thought they were going to go full daredevil, and she was going to hear him lying. Oh,
2: oh yeah, like, like the
0: the yeah <laughs> yeah
1: the heart palpitation or whatever. Yeah, I was I was kind of expecting that. I forgot that it was just a oh I recognize yeah. his voice. He said, "Put a muzzle I like on that up. Too, though,
0: because it makes sense. And she's like, "I never forget a voice," and of course she wouldn't. Like that's right. one of the main tools that she uses to identify people, and so it makes sense that she would remember specific people's voices. Um, so I liked that detail and that she calls him on it and that Aang starts to lose he starts to lose it and go into the Avatar state
2: and he destroys all of their sand mm-hmm.
1: sailors yeah
2: it's some, it's not something that Ang you think Aang would right. do but he does because he's essentially like that's well, of the up. vindictive parts too like, cause, like the way he kills one of I think the first time you see him kill anything Right. Is the buzzard wasp.
1: Mm-hmm. And on the way to that rock, they were like, oh, maybe we'll find... Kasara said, like, oh, maybe we'll find something, a way out or something. And Aang just kind of mutters, yeah, maybe we'll find some yeah. yeah. Like, he is out yeah. for and blood. Yeah, he does kill
0: that buzzard thing. And I think you're right that that's the first time we've ever seen him kill a living thing. I mean, he's even... he's vegetarian. He doesn't eat meat. He doesn't, you know, like, we we've seen him protect himself, but not kill anything. But as soon
1: as one of those things grabs Momo and takes off, Aang is like, absolutely not.
0: So yeah, so he destroys all their stuff, which, I mean, they don't have an Oppa either, so their Sandblaster's boat things are the only way they get around, so he's stranding them there um, as well.
1: Sokka is telling everyone to run, because... he, he starts to go
0: into the Avatar state, which we have not seen him do since the beginning of Season 2, when the General is trying to provoke him into it, and we realize that the Avatar state... Uh, we learn more about it, we understand that that's also the time when the Avatar is most vulnerable. So we haven't seen him use it, and his whole thing has always been that he doesn't go into the Avatar state... Um, And less provoked, essentially. You know, it's what finally sends him over the edge, as Mike was saying earlier, is when Katara's life is in danger. And that's what prompts him to go into the Avatar state then. And now it's Appa. Um, And it's even more upsetting now that we know the full extent of what it means. And we know that he's still not controlling it. Um, And then, and Katara just holds him. You know she
2: she gives yeah. him the most heartbreaking look mm-hmm. too she just looks at him with all this pity and compassion yeah. and, just and like, she
0: because he's starting to rise up and first she grabs his arm and that's when you see her looking at him and we remember too in that episode when he decides to experiment and try to provoke the avatar state because he thinks that it's his only option and she says to him it's so painful for the people who love you to see you that way and I, I can't watch it and I can't You know, watch you do this to yourself because it hurts to see you in this much pain. And, you know, we see that on her face that it hurts her to see him this way, and yet she still sees beyond that and knows who he is and knows how much pain that he's in and knows that this isn't who he is. This vengeful person is not Aang. And so, and she doesn't even try to use words. You know, she just holds him until he breaks, and that's always the number one thing that will get mm-hmm. me if I'm upset or angry or just really sad or whatever. And I'm hold like I'm holding everything in, and um, somebody hugs me, I'll just like it yeah. just breaks the dam, and I'm just like, okay, now mm-hmm. I'm just gonna sob forever. Um, and and she just holds him, and and he is in the state and he's in the state and he's in the state and then we see that like the tear roll down and it just... Is this the first time you've seen him cry? I think so.
1: Maybe, yeah.
2: Because Bitter Work was the first time we saw Zuko Mm -hmm. cry. When he's like on top of the mountain, he's yelling, you know, give me everything you got. He's crying. I think this is the first time we see Aang cry. I don't think
0: he cried when he discovered Gyatsu. Bones. I don't think he I think he just went no. into the state.
2: Yeah, I think he just was shocked so much that he went directly into the Avatar State. And then we we see his eyes tear yeah. up at the end of the library when he's discovered Apa's gone, but I think this is the first time we see him cry. Mm. Like actually yeah. cry. Um so yeah, it's kind of that whole theme too, like this is the first time we see something that's not that cheerful, happy-go-lucky facade that he is part intrinsically part of who Aang is as a person, but just also kind of a front that he's putting on. Um, so yeah, this one really this one caught me. <laughs> yeah,
1: really,
0: really sad. Um, there's a whole part of the episode we haven't talked about yet, which is Zuko and Iroh.
1: Yeah. I know
2: it must have been something for you to not
0: even mention Zuko yet. Well, he's not really, yeah, around really that much in these ones, um, although he is, of course, uh, my beloved. I love him. Um, <laughs> I love him so much. Oh, my little baby Zuko. Anyway, he and Iro are, you know, traveling, and uh, they are confronted they, by a general, Colonel yeah, Monkey. monkey. Or general, general, I think it's Mong. It's a mo- It's I think it's Colonel K,
2: like M O N G K E. Mongke. Yeah. Um.
0: Yeah.
2: Um. Yeah. He's the he's the group that he's the leader of the group that attacked Aang back in Avatar Day,
0: mm-hmm. and then they came in and attacked yeah. the village. The rough rhinos. Yeah. So yeah, he's surrounded by all these old uh, war comrades of his who are now trying to get the bounty on his and Zuko's heads, and he greets them very genially and kind of you know. Talks to each of them in turn. They're apparently also a great singing group. Uh, Yeah.
1: But they're (laughs) not there to have a concert. Uh, They're very clear on that.
0: Oh, (laughs) Iroh. It's so good. And then Iroh is just a badass and just takes him out, you know? And it's clear. It's clear that, like, all his little welcoming, like, quips and stuff as he addresses them all are less about, um, you know, actually speaking to them and more about stalling and figuring out, like, the configuration of them. Yeah. Like, it's strategy, and it's him being like, okay, you're here, and you're here, and you're there, and, like, it's, like, you see the general at, at work, you know, the strategist and the um, fighter there, and so...
1: Well, and they also tell us, for the first time, at really anything about the Rough Rhinos, that um, each member is a specialist of a different mm-hmm. kind of weapon. And we even see one of the archers from the Blue Spirit uh, episode, you know, those with the tattoo mm-hmm. over their eyes and all that whole thing. I thought that was really cool that, like, somehow they pried one of those guys away from his yeah. whatever thing that they're all supposed to be doing.
0: Um, so, yeah, that was really cool. And then Zuko and Iroh, of course, take them out and escape. And as they're escaping, Zuko is like, don't you have any old friends who don't want to kill you? And that right. kind of clicks for something in Iroh's uh, mind. We see for the first time since they were introduced the two Earthbenders who are uh, after Toph, who've been sent by her father. And they oh, right. come across Zuko and Iroh and you know decide, hey, we might as well get these guys while we're here and they're here and collect that reward money. And so they all end up in the same little tavern. I think the same one where... Yeah, on, it's
2: the Misty Ponds yeah. Oasis, yeah.
0: So the same one where we were last episode. And while they're there, Iroh goes up to a stranger and uh, begins a game of pie show. But it's not a regular game. They both are playing... You know, he puts down the White Lotus piece. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that must be, you know, some kind of a signal and the two of them complete this white lotus um, shape on the board which must be like the secret code to let you know, one another know, hey we're we're of this secret society together and that stranger helps them create a distraction in the (coughs) tavern which sets everyone against the two earthbenders and Iroh and Zuko are able to escape and then Iroh kind of goes into this super secret meeting in a like in a plant store <laughs> yeah like
2: some sort of botanist yeah, like a-
0: in some back room and Zuko's not allowed in because he's not an initiate <laughs> of this secret group I loved this on multiple levels I love it that uh, that pie show which is something we've seen Iroh do repeatedly has a greater purpose it makes sense because I do a hundred percent believe that Iroh just generally enjoys it as a game and as a pastime. But I also love that it has this other meaning that I also think makes sense with him. I mean, Iroh's whole thing is about being disarming. I'm jovial. I'm the fat uncle. Mm -hmm. I love tea. I'm just great. But, but we know that he is incredibly intelligent and deadly and, you know, beneath that genial, um, exterior. So I loved that this, and I also love too, you know, we saw with him in a recent episode about the lightning and about the studying of all the different elements that it's not just brute force. There is an intellect there and that he appreciates the study of things and the knowledge. And so, you know, codes and secret societies and all that stuff kind of plays right into that too. I loved it. I love that Zuko's not allowed in, um, I just love that Zuko's is like, what are you old gasbags talking
2: about? I know!
0: <laughs> it's, it's
1: just, yeah, he's got no respect whatsoever petulant. for whatever this is. Way
0: too much he subtlety for him. Thing. Way too much subtlety. Um...
1: I really liked the way that, um, the pie Show guy, his name is Fung, um like, caused the distraction in the bar. Yeah. He just, like, loudly proclaimed that there was, like, a bounty on their head and that these two bounty hunters weren't going to be able to keep all of the gold for themselves and everybody in the bar perks up and it just turns into, like, a big, like, what would, if this were an adult show, be a drunken yeah. bar brawl. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I don't know, I don't think Kelly has, I don't know if you have, JJ, uh, seen uh, the Netflix show Jessica Jones, but... There's a character on there uh, named Luke Cage, and he fights a lot like Xin Fu did in this scene, where he's taking on several guys at once, and he looks kind of bored,
2: <laughs> where you're just like, like
1: man, he, he really could be anywhere else right now and not give a fuck. He's like, like eh, eh, eh. Yeah. And I just kept thinking that. I was like, man, this is Luke Cage all over the place.
2: I was actually thinking of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, where she's gone to an inn and she's eating a meal. And I don't know if you guys have seen this movie, but she's...
1: Not in a long time.
2: She's just eating a meal, and she's just fighting people off with, like, literally (laughs) single-handedly, with, like, one hand, as she's, like, eating and trying to, like, eat her meal in peace. And she's just, like like, knocking all back, left and right, and then she goes right back to eating her food, like, just very, very calmly. (laughs) Nice.
1: Oh, and there was also that episode where... Iroh, I forget what episode it was, but Iroh thought he lost his white lotus yeah. tile. So the entire episode was I have like, them schlepping I have all to get over the back. hell. Oh, right. I didn't even And know it, it turned back. out to be in his sleeve. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's the it's yeah. the one where he got all the junk too and the instruments about
1: Oh right, for Music Night. For Music
2: Night, yeah. I have to bring Music Night back because it makes me laugh every time
0: well, Music Night is the best. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that is kind of our little undercurrent bee story, and they go, they hide, um, they go out in planters, and we get a really hilarious shot of them like lifting up the tops of the potted plants and poking out, and then going back down, um, which is just really great. So yeah, yeah. the The
2: plot of that is too. So of course they're wanted now by the Fire Nation. Um, they're wanted, and so the plan is to go to Ba Sing Se as refugees. Because a lot of people over the course of the war are going to Ba Sing Se to, you know, to escape from either the Fire Nation or whatever else has happened to them. And it's like, we're just going to be two uh-huh. more. Yeah. So I think the secret societies, like, forged their papers to get them yeah. in. And I also love that Iroh says, well, it's the safest place from the war. Not even I could, could. reach the walls of Ba yeah. Sing Se. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Because we only saw that one shot where he breached the outer wall, but he couldn't get inside. He couldn't get inside, inside, yeah. yeah. So,
0: and then the other thing is, so not only were um, Katara and everybody else planning to go to Ba Sing Se anyway because they want to warn the king uh, about this plan, about the eclipse, but also the sandblasters sold Appa to somebody in Ba Sing Se. And so everybody is going to Ba Sing Se. So it's highly likely that they will all meet up in the future. And I have a long-ranging prediction um, that is probably okay. wrong, but I have sworn to voice these things aloud and humiliate myself. So I don't necessarily believe that it's going to happen now or even in this season, but I've been thinking about the fact that Aang needs a firebending teacher eventually, and I think it's going to be Iroh. I think it's yeah. going to be Iroh. Maybe Zuko will help but that's what I think. Cool. We'll have
1: to find
0: (laughs) out. So, is there anything else about this episode that we didn't... I know we weren't very linear, we were kind of all over the place, but uh, anything we didn't cover?
1: Just every... I mean, I... I, it needs to be said again. Every line it's that Sokka has stole whatever scene it was. <laughs> um, I'm gonna find
2: a giant <laughs> mushy friend find is still a my favorite. I'm
0: like waving with the noodle R. Oh, I'm
2: sure they're all over. They're all over the internet. I'm sure.
1: The the part where it's like really sad because Aang thinks Appa is the the cloud over the moon or whatever, and and Sokka's just like, why would Yue need Appa? She can I fly. Know. so good.
2: Uh, And the music, too, it's kind of this, like, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: like this, like, oh, everything he's, everything about Sokka. Or, like, they're in the buzzard wasp hive thing, and he's, like, licking whatever it is on the wall. Um, And and Katara's just like, why would you do that? And he's like, I have a natural curiosity. (laughs)
1: Right, right. Oh, I did want to point out that... um, as far as I can remember, the buzzard wasps and the canyon crawlers from the the Great Divide are the only two insect things in this show I mean there's like little beetles that you see Momo like eating or whatever yeah. but or like a butterfly or something but anything large enough to have a face is those are the only two insecty things that I can think of yeah, because
2: we mentioned this in the Great Divide and you asked if I could think of any other like insecty right. buggy type of. Creatures and I said no. And besides so the when these face came healer? up, well, that's a spirit well, and that's slightly different because yeah. spirits are different. But I couldn't. I said I couldn't think of any. So there's these. There's the canyon crawlers. And now that I think about it, I thought there was some sort of giant beetle. I thought,
1: maybe with like like I a rhino,
2: like a rhino beetle, like with like a. Oh. Um.
1: That does ring a bell. Maybe you're right. I
2: thought that there was something know. like that, but I can't. Remember, obviously.
1: We'll
2: see. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. My my only real like notes on this episode was basically a whole bunch of sad emoticons.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just
2: sad faces, like the whole time, yeah. and especially the way the episode ends. It doesn't end on a happy note. No. It doesn't end on any sort of resolution, really. For for Ang, they don't get off the of back. He doesn't even come out of the avatar state really. He's just crying while he's in it, and all he gets is is Katara just giving him a hug, and it just the way it ended is so sad and just like, and it was just that it was just like all bunch of sad face emoticons. Yeah. From, like all my notes, I'm just like.
1: I think they did a really nice job of also of like, just displaying the fatigue of traveling in a desert. Everybody looked sunburnt. Yeah. Everybody looked, like, bedraggled, you know, like, really beat down. Well, they had pit stains
2: and, like, sweat stains. They get pit
1: stains. They're sticking together. And then by the end of the night, or by the end of the day, their shadows are getting crazy long. Like, those National Geographic photos you see of camels in the desert from Mm -hmm. an aerial view. And you're like, oh, those just, like, little dots. But their shadows are giant camels, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I got for that.
0: Were there any voice actors in this one?
1: Oh, yeah. There were uh, three new voice actors. Hang on, hang on. Um, Guy Shin, the son who stole Appa, is played by Paul McKinney. Um, he's been on The Goldbergs, House of Lies, Blackish, and he was in an episode of Power Rangers Wild Force playing a dancing businessman. And I did not look into what that means. Um. Fung, the White Lotus uh, buddy of Iros, is played by Peter Jessa, who's done a bunch of video game stuff, like a lot of video game stuff. He's been in Dishonored, StarCraft, Metro... Um, What else do I have here for him? Oh, he was a voice in Assault on Arkham, uh, the cartoon movie that's basically Suicide Squad but animated. And he also... This is my favorite (laughs) of his um, credits. He was in an episode of 30 Rock... In one of their pretense skits, or sket, you know, because yeah, it's yeah. a show within a show, um, he was playing Mayor McCheese, and it was a <laughs> it was a Macbeth sketch, <laughs> but like he was like Mayor McCheese from McDonald's. he was just a giant cheeseburger-headed like prince or nice. something. Really good stuff. <laughs> and lastly, uh, Shamona is played by <laughs> Bill Bolender. Um, he's been on Desperate Housewives, he was on Deadwood, he was on a single episode of the West Wing <laughs> where he played man number one. Um, he was in a bunch of episodes of Alias and the uh, some episodes of ER, and the, the role that I feel like everyone knows him best as, which I actually had to look up this name because I couldn't think of it, he was Elmo Blatch in Shawshank Redemption, and if you don't remember who that is, that's the guy who it turns out actually did murder Andy Dufresne's wife and her lover and was telling the story while laughing and wheezing and sweating. It was like a really jarring scene in that, uh, Ah. in that movie. (laughs) Yeah. So that's him. And that's everybody.
0: Okay. Yeah. Do you guys have any spoiler stuff?
1: Um, not really. We talked a little bit before um, the episode. I think we're, in the future, we're probably not going to do as many, but we're going to try and do them before oh. we record because it will prevent us from... Going too far. It'll, it'll <laughs> purge the, the desire to spoil things ah. ahead of time. We'll just get that out of the way ahead of time. Also,
2: too, particularly from now until the end, some of the things that you will bring up that are not yet resolved kind of get resolved fairly quickly because between right. now and the end it's like one continuous story so it's kind of we're just like in the very beginning of got it, it. so right. one huge continuous story to the end of the end of the and series. I feel
1: like calling them spoilers I mean we should really just call it like talking without <laughs> Kelly because that's we're not like giving away any secrets of the show we're just like oh and this is just like that one time we yeah, can't tell Kelly about yet right see, for me not
2: actually spoilers to other people who've seen right. the show but yeah so, yeah, we said probably there will probably
0: be a couple, but less frequency. because All right. Kind of, ooh. Yeah. You guys do your thing. That wraps up this week's installment of the Earth Kingdom Prairie Home Companion. Next time we'll be covering two episodes, The Serpent's Pass and The Drill. So be sure to tune in for newbie recaps, know-it-all nerdery, and general squeeing all around.
1: And as always, you can subscribe to us via iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play or your podcast provider of choice, or visit us at our website, earthkingdomradio.com.
2: And if you like us, please rate and review when you get a chance as it helps
0: other listeners find the podcast. You can follow me, Kelly, at BookishChick on Twitter or Instagram.
1: You can follow me, Mike, at Robo underscore pants on Twitter.
2: And you can follow me, JJ, at SJJones on Twitter or my website, sjjones.com.
0: Our theme music is Cattails by Kevin MacLeod, and our logo was designed and created by our very own JJ.
1: Thanks so much for watching. Listening. I mean, this is a podcast. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Bye.
2: Bye. (laughs)